At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again, and have a blessed day. Good morning. I'm sure after hearing the scriptures today, you are wondering, what in the world (laughs) is going to happen today? I wonder as well. Uh, But I'm very excited. Uh, It's been a tremendous study. Uh, God has kicked my behind for several weeks in preparation as I've read and I've studied and prayed over this. And uh, I've been under pretty deep conviction uh, this week. And and I'm not sure how it will play out in your lives and in your heart. but I know God has a word for us today. Uh, so we're in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bible, if you're a smart device, uh, go ahead and open that up and be ready. Uh, we have uh, much ground to cover, and uh, I know God wants to speak to us. We're, we're talking about today, what does it mean to live a life of significance? What does it mean to live a life of significance? How would you define it? or even know if you have achieved it. Dictionary.com says that significance is something important or of consequence. Researchers seem to have two main ways to understand what the meaning of life means. It means coherence and purpose. And then they add a third way that I thought was very interesting, that significance means to gain increasing amounts of attention. Purpose means having a sense of core goals, aims, and direction in life. Significance is about a sense of one's value and having a life worth living. Living and desiring to live a life of significance is a positive human trait. It's not wrong to want to have a life of significance. It's good to want to make a difference in the lives of others and in our world. We all want to be successful and feel important, yet being successful and important is much different than living a life of significance. Many times we confuse success and significance, sometimes even equating the two terms in our own minds. But as I think we'll see today, they're two very different things. Success does not always indicate significance. We may think that having money, having a great job, uh, being important to others, that are, those are all things that mean we're significant. Or maybe significance is having a nice house, having polite kids, an important position, a role in our job that makes us important to others, being a ministry head in your church, or being popular, or being known 
Maybe even having important friends makes you significant. These things are fine and they have their place in our lives, but do they make you somebody? Do they make you important? Do they make you significant or indicate that you're really living a life of significance? Today, like I mentioned, I identify with Saul. And as we continue our study today in 1 Samuel, and now we're in chapter 14, I am com completely and deeply convicted, and God has been wearing me out in this study. David did a great job last week of talking about pride in chapter 13 and how dangerous pride is and how destructive it can be even to the point of ruining Saul's life and ours by application. When I read through and studied chapter 14, I saw a man, I saw Saul, king of Israel, who had just, in the previous chapter, lost his job. He had just been told, you've been rejected as king. And he knew it was only a matter of time before the kingship was ripped from his hands. And in chapter 14, I see a king desperately trying to be important, desperately trying to be successful, desperately trying to be significant. He's like, he's thrashing, he's a, he's a thrashing like a, a drowning man who's fighting for his life, trying not to go down for the last time. That's what I see in Saul today. I see a man whose life is contrasted in our passage today with his own son, contrasted with his son Jonathan. Saul and I both, maybe you too, want to live a significant life. And yet, as we see in chapter 14, Saul goes about it in ways that are not going to give him the significance for which he so desperately strives. Let's look at chapter 14 together and see how we can learn from Saul's struggle for significance as we read those first five verses. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, and the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes, which means slippery, and the name of the other was Sinna, or Thorny. The one crag rose on the north in front of Mishmash, and the other on the south in front of Gibba. We see here that Jonathan is adventurous. He's excitable. And he's going to go check out the Philistine garrison with his armor bearer. And the scriptures specifically give us a note that says that he didn't tell his father. And if you remember from a study a chapter or so ago, you remember that the siege that they are under now, the Israelite people, are being sieged by thousands and thousands of Philistines. And this all started 
because of one of Jonathan's commando raids. Saul, meanwhile, is in hiding. He's under the pomegranate tree in a cave with the 600 troops who haven't already deserted him. Saul is also with Ahijah, the priest who was part of Ichabod's family. Now, Ichabod, the name means departed glory. So here is Saul with Ahijah, whose priestly line had been rejected just as Saul's kingly line has been rejected. Samuel, God's prophet, left Saul a chapter or two ago, and he left Saul so he has no sure way to get a word from God. So here's Saul hanging out with departed glory's family, and he's rejected as well. When we're chasing significance, we have a hard time distinguishing right from wrong. We have a hard time distinguishing our lives from the lifestyle of everyone else around us. We might be at church, but mostly we're just there to look good and to hang out with the religious folks and maybe even hang out with the priest if he's wearing a suit and an ephod. That sometimes happens when you're searching for significance in your own way. When we chase significance our own way, the world sees no difference in our lifestyle and their own. Let's look in verses 6 through 15. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show, themselves, we'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign for us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we'll show you a thing. Probably not a good thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after them, after him, and, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that, and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in, the acre of grant, in, in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. In these verses, we see a contrast between Saul hiding in a rock and in caves and under a tree, and Jonathan. Jonathan and his armor bearer. We see these two guys living significant lives because they understood that significance comes from glorifying God 
and not ourselves. And they acted upon that truth. Jonathan proclaims his faith in an all-powerful, sovereign, totally in control God. When he says in verse 6, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. By saying, it may be, Jonathan is saying, I submit myself to your plan here, God. He doesn't presume upon or try to manipulate God. He, at the same time, confesses his, confesses his total belief in God and that God has all the power necessary for him to be victorious, for their people to be victorious. He's saying, God, you can save by any means you choose. Yet, I submit myself to your sovereign plan. Praying in faith acknowledges God's ability to do anything He wishes to do and submits our desires to His sovereign will because His will is good and perfect. He doesn't presume upon God. He doesn't name it and claim it. He doesn't not receive that because they look like that's a big bunch of tough guys. He doesn't presume on God at all. He presumes upon God's sovereignty, His power, and submits His will to a holy and powerful God. I can just hear the excitement in the words of Jonathan in verse 12. Come up after me. Let's go see what God is going to do. This is how we live a significant life. Praying according to Romans 8.32, which says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, give him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He submitted his heart and his desires to a sovereign father. Just like another lone soldier we know named Jesus. When Luke twenty two forty two says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, it may be. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And God chooses to save by few. Saved you, saved me. Second Peter 1, 3 through 8 says, His divine power has granted to us all things. You think you don't have power in prayer? He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, are chasing after significance. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and, virtue and with your virtue knowledge, 
and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Maybe, if I may take liberty, keeps you from being insignificant and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jonathan's words tell us all we need to know about significance. Significance comes when we seek to glorify God and not ourselves. I'll say it again, it's important. Significance comes when we seek to glorify God and not ourselves. That's 52 verses in about 10 words. I didn't count them. You can count them yourself. But that's the sermon in a nutshell. Verses 16 through 23. And the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who's gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great, very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. Saul's watchmen heard and saw what was happening. Saul finds out that Jonathan and his armor bearer aren't among the 600 left. He calls for the ark of God to be brought, possibly to get God's approval for what he was wanting to do, or possibly to get some direction, to attempt to get some direction about what to do next. Then he tells the priest, withdraw your hand. It's almost like he's saying, never mind, let's go get them. Let's go get into the battle. So it would look like he was a part of the victory. Saul becomes religious. And when we want to justify what we want to do, sometimes our first move is to try to earn God's favor or approval or to justify it in a spiritual or religious way. He never really wanted God's input. He only wanted to get the okay to do what he already knew he was going to do. Many times we delude ourselves like this. We lie to ourselves as we say we are doing what God wants us to do, but we really don't want God's involvement at all. We only want what we want because in the end, it's really all about me anyway. 
It's not about glorifying God. So do we ever act this way? What, that's a lot of words to describe what Saul's doing there. How does that play out in real life? Maybe like this. I know I'm not supposed to date that guy, but I'm lonely, and there's nobody else around. I've prayed about it. I know I can't afford this, but everybody has one. It would take too much time to really seek God about this. Forget about it. Let's go ahead and fill in the blank. Do what we want to do anyway. Sometimes our religious acts are our way of trying to earn God's favor or approval for something we've already decided we're going to do. When we search for significance on our own terms, we're headed for the rocks. Verses 24 through 31. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge, the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. In these verses, we get a bit of a flashback. The battle's taking place. Now, as often happens in uh, our scriptures, we get a flashback to see the rest of the story. And in this flashback, we're given examples of how Saul's desire or drive to make himself important causes him to make tragic mistakes. Saul put a foolish vow upon the people after Jonathan and his armor bearer have gone against the garrison. Saul comes out of hiding and tells the people, no one eats until I've avenged my enemies. As the people pursued the Philistines, they went into the forest, and in keeping with the oath, they wanted to be obedient people. They denied themselves any food. They denied themselves the usual spoil that had usually come along with a conquering army. Usually the victorious army would roll through the camp of their, their uh, conquered people and they would eat as they went because they didn't carry ready-to-eat meals in their backpacks back then. So they're eating as they go, chasing them. 
or that's what they would normally do, but not today. They're following the oath. Saul, scrambling for significance, misuses his authority for his own purposes. This oath that he puts upon the people is his way of motivating and controlling them. Using his power to say, look at me. Listen to what I am saying for you to do. Obey me. Instead of acknowledging Jonathan or calling out to the Lord or thanking God, acknowledging him for his salvation of the people, he decides to take the stage and put an oath on the people. Because this is not about God's deliverance, but about Saul's vengeance. Seeking significance my way is always about me. And when we seek significance apart from glorifying God, it always points to yourself. Verses 32 through 35 say, The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. The Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Mishmash to a highland. Saul's vow causes the people to be weary. In three different places in this passage, it says they were hard-pressed. The people were weary. The people were faint as a result of the oath. It caused them to be desperately hungry to the point of breaking a long-standing, God-given prohibition from the Scriptures. In Genesis 9 and also in Leviticus 7, they were not to eat meat with the blood. They knew it. They had known it for generations. Blood represented life and was to be used only for atonement sacrifices. But the people that day ate with the blood. So Saul, who has now spurned the counsel of Samuel, had come up with a self-centered plan for battle. He had centered everything around himself, and now he was concerned about the people's sin. When we seek significance, in our own way, we are very quick to judge other people. And we are often missing our own blind spots. We see pride in others, but not in ourselves. We are critical of others when it works to our advantage to make us look good. We bristle when others question our actions or our opinions because we're always on the defense to protect our 
ourselves. Because it's right at that point, it's all about us. Verses 36 through 46. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. And God, Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God on this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan, so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Now a lot happens in this passage. Saul acts as the priest. He takes on the office of priest. He wants to get back to doing what he wants to do, which is to go avenge his enemies. So he accepts the role or takes on the role of priest so that he can clean up the mess that those people made that he really caused. And the people are responding, do what seems right to you in verse 36. But of course, that's what he's been doing the whole time. He's been doing what seems right to him what protects him, what promotes him, what gives him importance. That's what he's been doing the whole time. Sometimes we do that too. We do what's right in our own eyes. He assumes that God's silence in verse 37 was the fault of someone else. Saul uses the Urim and Thummim to find out Jonathan's involvement, but never acknowledges that any of this whole series of events is his fault at all. The Urim and Thummim were uh, kind of instruments that were in the ephod, in the pocket of the ephod of the priest, and they were used to discern God's will, kind of like flipping a coin. And if they both fell on the same thing, then that was God's will. They used, they used it throughout the book of Judges and 
Saul calls upon it here to pull Jonathan out. When the people refuse to, to answer, we see how seeking your own significance eventually turns everyone away from you. Saul was ready to sacrifice his own son to maintain his own position of power. And the voice of the people was the only thing that stopped him. At this point, Saul had lost the heart of his people. He had pushed them all away because he had made life about himself. Saul was unmasked, naked for all people to see. In verse 46, it says, As a result, the defeat of the Philistines had not been great. Seeking your own significance eventually pushes everyone away from you. Verses 47 through 52, and this is our last chunk of Scripture today. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malkishua, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Himaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul. And there, the father of Abner was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached him to himself. These verses record history's perspective of King Saul. And in the eyes of history, Saul was not a bad king. He did what kings do. He protected his people. He delivered his people. He protected the nation and delivered them from their enemies. But one thing that he failed to do was to lead them in faithful obedience to God. The people wanted a king like all the nations around them. And that's exactly what they got. A king that had no regard for God, a king that was self-centered, made everything about himself, and had no regard for God's glory. Even in the last sentence of the chapter, we see that Saul's whole existence was about God, Saul's glory and not God's because he sought to attach every valiant man to himself so that all their might would be used to glorify Saul. And that's what people who search for significance on their own terms, that's what they want from you. They want your energy so that they are glorified, so that you build their kingdom, so that you do and make them feel important. So how do we avoid falling into pursuing our own significance? A couple of things. One, remember our calling. We have to remember our calling. If you remember back in uh, 
the chapter previous, I think it was 12, it says in verse 24 and 25, this is, this is Samuel's charge to Saul and to the people. He says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all of your heart. And consider the great things that he has done for you. But if you do wickedly, you shall be swept away. How do we avoid being swept away like a sandcastle on the beach? That's there one minute and gone the next. How do we avoid doing wickedly, as it says there? Secondly, not only do we need to remember our calling, but secondly, we need to renew our minds. And that's a daily process. It says in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. The only way, the only way to avoid a life of insignificance, the only way to live a life of significance is to glorify God and put truth into our minds. And truth is freeing. Truth is powerful. The truths of God's Word will lighten your eyes, will brighten your eyes like honeycomb to, to Saul, uh, to Jonathan. It'll brighten your eyes to the life that you're living. And you will see from God's perspective whether or not you're living a life of significance or if you're using folks to make yourself, yourself look good. Truth not only enlightens your eyes, but it frees you. It frees you from all the expectations and all the, I need to be important or I need people's approval. And that's where I fall today. I want to live a life of significance. A life that glorifies God regardless of whatever happens. I want to pray with, like Jonathan. that says, God, you may, you may save by many or by few. You can save my son or you might not. But no matter what, I submit to you. You're able, but I don't presume upon your power because you are God and I am not. And I trust you. And because I trust you, I can rest. There's such rest in living a life of significance when you're seeking to glorify God and not yourself. Saul. Poor Saul. Our hearts go out to him. And yet he continued to make mistakes because he was focused on himself and not upon Glorifying the God who was his deliverer. Renewing our minds daily in the word of God will draw our hearts. It will free our hearts. 
it will break through all of the chains and it will make our hearts to be more like His. And as a result, we will have lives of eternal significance. Do you want eternal significance? Do you want to build a sandcastle? That's the choice you have today. I pray that you'll make the right one. Let's pray. Father, use your word in our our lives today to free us, to change us, to bring about your purposes in our lives that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.